0: Sweden has this strange relationship to its own national identity, whereas being a patriot in the United States yes. is something like like you have to be a patriot. Otherwise, you're a traitor. Mm-hmm. Right. But in Sweden, being a patriot is kind of like being a nationalist. And that might mean that you're slightly racist. So it's got this conflicting like Sweden hasn't really moved into becoming more inclusive as far as like hiring practices or, you know, where people live and just being more culturally inclusive. But at the same time, they shy away from, oh, don't want to touch the flag. At one point, even singing the national anthem was considered, you know, kind of having an undertone of racism. Welcome back, good people. You're listening to This Moment with me, Jason Timbuktu-Diakite, and my brother, Marcus Samuelson. How you doing, Marcus?
1: I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Like, uh, it's summertime in New York. I got my corn down. I love that. You know, I got <laughs> eating a lot of fresh fruit. And uh, yeah, man, excited summer.
0: Autumn must be the best time as far as what produce you can get. Like as a scene from a chef's perspective, like what's what's the season with most abundance?
1: I would say uh, spring is always exciting. You're coming off a very cold winter. And then when you get into the ramps, you get into sort of like the seafood started to change as well. And then you get in eventually late uh, spring, you get into soft-shell crabs coming up from Maryland. And then, uh, you know, so that's a very, very exciting time because you've been eating like, root vegetables and winter vegetables so spring is very kind but fall is amazing too late late summer early fall like kind of like you still have tomato season corn season and then you go in head into like you got the pumpkins and all that yeah very very good like i would say late september
0: but let me ask you marcus because you grew up on the west coast of sweden in smug and and i know a lot of people like in sweden everybody kind of knows what that means it's like an it's an it's a region of Sweden that's synonymous with the best yeah. seafood, mainly like the best shrimp, the best lobster. I, I think a lot of people are on the fence whether or not the um, crayfish are, I, I'm not sure West Coast and the West Coast is known to have the best crayfish. I think a lot of regions want to claim that. But as far as shrimp and lobster, yeah. nobody can fuck with the West Coast. So now that you're in the States, how do you miss some of that like stuff that you were born and raised on, like the shrimp, for Absolutely,
1: example. absolutely. I mean, you know, waters are very different. Like our crayfish, which are, you know, ocean crayfish, they are amazing. They're they were almost what we call like langoustines. They're absolutely amazing. And it's something I love to go back and fish with, uh, with my friends uh, when I get there. You can almost fish those type of crayfish all year round. Shrimp, if you've got to have a heavy boat, it's, it's a lot of work to do that. But, um, yeah, I mean, fresh shrimp off the boat. It's unbelievable. You know, they're warm, you know. <laughs> you're
0: not going to believe me when I tell you, Marcus. But I'm from uh, Lund, as you know, small town in the south of Sweden. It's not far from the ocean, but it's not on the ocean. So, you're going to think me an infidel, but I didn't eat, like, any seafood until about four or five years ago. I didn't F with seafood wow. at all.
1: Wow, Yeah, I, It. it it's funny because my, my mom grew up in Helsingborg, which is obviously also on the water, but five minute inland. But it was also that it was a city. So my, in terms of my parents' upbringing, my father was the guy from the island, from Smergaon. And my mom was the one from the city of Helsingborg. And their knowledge of, of different things was so different. You know, she did not know what seafood would be good or, or, you know, when to buy it and all of these uh-huh. things. The things that you grew up with if you were an island kid. You know what I mean? And uh, it, it's funny like how five minutes can make such a big difference, you know?
2: Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going.
0: one thing that i actually enjoy doing is picking mushrooms we do that a lot in sweden now my dad on the other other hand who's african-american he is like he's always told me since i was a kid like if you're at swedish people's houses and they offer you mushrooms say no you don't want to eat any mushrooms that they've been picking in the forest and then he gets into this whole thing these swedes go out into the forest they pick mushrooms they might be either trying to poison you or they might have picked some poisonous mushrooms uh, 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 by mistake. And his and this all goes back to his friend from Trinidad who was in, I think it was Holland or Buisland, and he ate some mushrooms and he got sick. He didn't even die. And my dad's like, you know, I had a brother. He was sitting with some Swedes. They gave him mushrooms. He got sick. Just don't do it. So that actually extends. He doesn't even eat mushrooms bought in the store because he, he can't trust it.
1: You know, there must have been a time where your dad knew, if not all black people in Sweden, but definitely all black people in Malmö. You know, like,
0: oh hell yeah. you yeah. know, as an definitely. adopted
1: kid, my, you know, when we went to Gothenburg, all the sort of the, the older black men and women's, nodded to my mom because as a white lady having black kid there was a nod that that nod and maybe there was like 10 people in Gothenburg or 20 people in Gothenburg right but I can just imagine your dad in the mid 70s early 80s he must have known there cannot be a black person in Lund no he knew everyone everyone in the whole region
0: yeah the whole region the one thing he says now is that you know because mammal and Skane which is the state where Mal- the southernmost state of Sweden and Sweden in general has become way more uh, diverse. So there are a lot more, you know, black people from all over the world. So it's one thing now is like I see, you know, I see black people these days on the streets of Malmö that I don't even know. So that's like a big thing. That t- that says to him, yeah, that says to him that there's there must be a lot of black people here because I don't know them all. I'm seeing black people I haven't seen before. Whereas in the 70s, like we couldn't really, I remember walking through town with my dad and it took forever because he'd stop and talk to every sure. brother, every sister, Community. every adopted kid, like the whole diaspora had to be covered on any, at any given moment.
1: Yeah. I mean, there was definitely, when I went to Gothenburg, the, you know, to hang out with my friends and play soccer, just go to concerts, whatever. We basically knew all the other 10 black kids, right? And they were from America, Trinidad, South Africa, somewhere adopted from Ethiopia. But it's like we kind of knew each other. But there was actually, I was probably in my mid teen, late teen, when there was there was actually something that happened. And I think you and I talk, discussed it. I'll tell it again. I met. I was probably like sixteen. I met a black skinhead, and. It was such an alternative thought, you know, to me. And it was so, I was like, bro, you gotta be lost. And this is like, <laughs> yo, what's going on Yeah. What
0: type, like, of, what type of hell have you gone through, yeah. brother?
1: <laughs> so, I mean, I was probably like 16, 17, because I was like, yo, we gotta reach this guy. We gotta talk to this guy, right? But he was like a black skinhead. And it was such a, it, it was just such a weird, I mean, maybe the furthest, If you met a black kid in Gothenburg around that time, it was either like, did you like Michael or did did you like Michael or did you like Prince? You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, which camp? But like a black skinhead, that was so foreign and so way off the chart.
0: Remember, there was a robbery that went wrong and the police started chasing the robbers and the cops managed to block off their car and the robbers got out and killed the cops. Now, they arrested the guys and one of them was a black guy named Jaki Aklov and he was a nazi like he was beyond just being like a casual skinhead he had actually been to the war in Serbia involved in like ethnic cleansing like this was a hardcore violent you know it, he was part of the hardcore violent white supremacist white supremacist um uh criminal gangs in Sweden and I've always like I've always wondered about him like i that's a person I'd like to interview because you imagine I'm not sure he was adopted I think he had one parent from Liberia and and then a, a white parent and but growing up he grew up in the north of Sweden you imagine the levels of like masking and camouflage and kind of self uh erasure or like just self-loathing that you go through to then end up on the other side where you're actually grouping yourself with the people who hate you
1: yeah but but i think it has a lot to do with identity and growing up identity and cultures are very very hard especially in this confusing part.
0: Uh, it has everything to do with identity but i mean imagine going through the tumble dryer of like i guess we all go through our levels of identity crisis and Growing up black or brown in Sweden, it's different from just being, you know, white in Sweden or being of
1: uh, Asian, you know. I think it's about belongings and, you know, where you have, because of your parents, your sense of belonging Mm. was never in doubt, right? You spoke English at home. Your father talked a lot about the African-American journey and prepared you and you can have, you know, big back and forth about it but belonging and I, I tell you as as an adopted kid it's probably the one thing that you you discuss and rediscover and discover you're almost on your own you know what i mean because in in one way having white parents as an adopted it helps because you never have to ask where's my parents from are my pa- am i uh yeah. Am I adopted? Like that's clear that that's taken out of the way because right now a lot of people are adopted and they want to adopt. So that question never comes up, right? For me, that was never a question. My sisters and I were adopted, et cetera, right? It gives clarity. But in terms of belonging and those more complex questions that you ask as a teenager, um, it's very difficult. Very often, Kids in my school, teachers even in my school, used to say, well, you know, Marcus, I don't don't mean you because you're not black like those other guys, right? And when it came from teacher or people like two, three years older, it's very, very confusing because these are people that you look up to and admire.
0: And they're saying you're okay because we know you. But other people that look like you that we don't know, well, we don't know about them. Exactly. exactly but you know Marcus you know I have like a couple of very close friends and and one of them Mikio, he and I started high school together so I walk into class first day of high school in Lund, and I see this other black kid in class and first of all I'm like happy that hey there's a you know I'm in school with a brother and I give him the nod and he doesn't nod mm. back so I'm like okay that's weird and then I see he's wearing low Dr. Martens. He's wearing black jeans and a black bomber jacket. And I'm like, damn, that he's dressed just like the skinheads. And I had heard of, I had heard of that there was a black skinhead in one of the smaller towns I, outside of Lund. And, it, and in that town, there were two notorious skinheads, Bilan and And you knew that if you went to Sarasambi, and you met Bielena Roos, man, you were in trouble. You were going to have to run as as fast as you could. Turns out, me, me and Mika became friends, and he's like, no, I'm not a skinhead. I'm, I listen to synth music, you know? And the difference was then that the skinheads wore high-top uh, Dr. Martin's blue jeans and green bomber jackets. So I'd gotten the, the signals totally confused, and to me, you know, again, to me the only thing you could be culturally as a black person was either you listen to reggae music or you listen to hip-hop music. And here was somebody who didn't fit on that very kind of narrow spectrum and I couldn't place it and automatically thought, well, he's, he must be the skinhead.
1: Black skinhead was definitely something that showed me like, whoa, there's another side and it scared me. And, uh, you know, again, as an adopted, you are you're kind of off on an island on your own. Like, let's say you gain something by, you can learn, you learn Swedish fluently without an accent. But then culturally, you're a little bit at loss because you don't have that identity that someone that comes as an immigrant or or as a refugee. And this back and forth is something that follows you uh, constantly. In smergen you know, there was, Later on, there was a couple of other adopted kids. One went from India, and one went from uh, West Africa as well. And we used to discuss this kind of when it's just the three of us, not when there was other people around. But but uh, but that idea was not black like you. And I think that's a, such a strong line: not black like you, not foreign like you. Uh, and I'm like, like what? <laughs> not black like you. I mean, it, it, it's a it's a very interesting. And that must have happened to you too. I mean, I get that
0: impression a lot of times still that I'm like one of a few black people in this country that's like a trusted, like, oh, Timbuktu. Well, we can listen to him, you know. He's he's somehow connected or we know him, you know. I can get that sense a lot. And of course, that's a that's a uh that's a position of privilege. And I try, I think I've tried at least to use that to kind of uh get some messaging through um but sometimes but but it is weird to me that that there's that distinction and i guess that has to do with uh uh oh you're not a stranger but these other people are strangers so in in essence oh we know you we can dance to your music but whatever's going on over here we're not too sure of that you know I mean, the the most the most like the most like uh, uh, common place where I would, and I'm sure you, you will agree to this, would uh, be exposed to like overt and explicit racism was with Dorman at nightclubs. And then of course becoming a famous rapper, that that problem just disappeared. So, and the, the doormen were all very courteous and like shaking my hand or like, welcome in, you know. But I remember all those years when, you know, they'd be like, no, this is members only. But at the same time, they're letting other people in. Or they say, no, you know, th- there's a dress code. But at the same time, they're letting other people in. Or in Malmo, where they're like, in Malmo, where they to- told me, you know, straight up, we don't let any N words in. Uh, and they they also said, you know, we didn't let Slatan in. Do you think we're going to let you in? So a lot of the most like overt racism I've met in Sweden is from dormant and police. I had,
1: I had a different experience. I had older sisters that went out way before me. So they, they sort of like set it up for me. They paved the way for me. And then at some point, actually, it's interesting with clubs, uh, me and my friend, we used to have a summer club uh, that were rented on the worst hour it used to be Thursday nights, and we took it over at one o'clock. And that actually was my way to get a ticket to travel because we're three friends, Thomas and Harald and myself. And we had a, 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 a funk and hip-hop club on Thursday nights called Summer Funk. And actually, Leila K performed there and all that stuff. But so I'll took my—we took Boom. our money, Boom. and we can split them up however we wanted. I took my money, and that was my first food journey— Actually, I gather from, from having that uh, uh, clubhouse and uh, that club event going on. And trust me, the doors the funk, were the like… funk
0: was working for you.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was in a basement and this uh, really legendary club, actually. It's called Funk House. But uh, it was, Thomas was a little bit older than me, so he had it all set up. He knew exactly what to do. And then I knew a lot of musicians, so that was my job to get the music crew. which then I called my sister that really knew the musicians because I kind of like knew them through her. And we were off to the races, and and uh, listened to a lot of funk music. That's how I got out, and that's how I got my little coin. And both of these guys were older than me, so they're probably like I don't know, but they always were so cool to me. And I felt like, well, you
0: know, you found your niche. Yes. you 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 started your yes. hustle. You know, <laughs>
1: it, it was it was amazing.
0: And one thing leads to the other. You had your funk hustle, so you could get on your food on the food train. You but know.
1: it also did go back to this thing about. I didn't have to deal with doormans anymore because now these door guys that were maybe just like 2021 or something like that, now they can come and work at my club, which then, you know, they were friendlier to us getting into other clubs on other nights. So it was all about the hustle. It was fun. Ready to pop the question?
0: So, Marcus, tell me, how was the 4th of July, 2020? It must have been a special one.
1: Yeah, I mean, daytime was amazing. Zion, Maya, and I went to the beach. And, uh, you know, that was amazing with other kids. And it was beautiful. You know what I mean? Kids, that was great. And um, then the the fireworks were loud and big. So, that that was great. But, you know, this is the summer of Corona of COVID it's also right before an election so you know
0: it's the summer of revolution too yeah. brother
1: but so you know like it's obviously he's doing his stuff right having his uh, speeches that sets a tone and um, it's all about race baiting so you kind of have to like go to other places to be to don't think about it but it's everywhere right you turn on a computer it's about his uh, race-baiting speeches, you know. And um, I looked a lot on, on, on my friends on, on Instagram and stuff like that, how they celebrated it. And there was a lot of inspiration. It goes back and forth between you and teens. I heard
0: there were a lot of demonstrations.
1: Demonstration. Uh, a, lot of,
0: a lot of demonstrations in Brooklyn yeah. and in Manhattan.
1: Well, I mean, in Harlem at least, we now have also Black Life Matter Square. It's right in front of the government building. It's becoming beautiful. It's been public art. So I look at the celebration of our force as there's been a lot of creative work. You know what I mean? And it's a lot of great questions going on.
0: Speaking of creative work, uh, you know Anderson Park released a track called "Lockdown." Oh, I didn't know that. Such a dope track. Have yeah, you heard it? it? Oh, you gotta, you gotta bump it. It's an uplifting, it's an uplifting anthem. You know, in the wake of both the COVID and especially the protests. One thing I'm really happy that I've caught all the way over here in Sweden is that Frederick Douglass gave a speech. One of the earliest. Black leaders, a former slave Frederick Douglass, gave a speech in 1852 in Rochester, New York, called uh, "What to the Slave Is the Fourth of July." And I just saw it. You know, people were posting about it. I saw it on the news, and it's it's just amazing to me how his speech. From 1852, given on the 5th of July 1852, called What to the Slave is the Fourth of July, was uh, you know, again kind of rediscovered and re-reminded to a lot of people. And that was really was both telling of the situation we're in today where it kind of needs to be re-reminded, even though it's 170-year-old words, but also beautiful that people are actually looking at history and history is still alive with us today. So I just wanted to drop a few lines from Frederick Douglass's speech. What have I or those I represent to do with our national independence? Are the great principles of political freedom and of natural justice embodied in that declaration of independence extended to us? What to the American slave is your 4th of July? I answer, a day that reveals to him, more than all other days in the year, the gross injustice and cruelty to which he is the constant
1: victim. To him, your celebration is a sham.
0: Your boasted liberty and unholy license.
1: Your national greatness, swelling vanity. Your sounds of rejoicing are empty and heartless.
0: Your denunciations of tyrants, brass-fronted impudence.
1: Your shouts of liberty and equality hollow mockery your prayers and hymns your sermons and thanksgivings
0: with all your religious parade and solemnity are to him
1: mere bombast fraud deception impiety and hypocrisy there is not a nation on the earth guilty of practices more shocking and bloody than are the people of these united states at this very hour
0: so you know Frederick Douglass nailed it on the head. And another thing that is really telling. So on the 5th of July, 2020, the statue of Frederick Douglass that stood in Rochester, New York, was actually torn down. Now, no group has taken on, uh, has claimed responsibility for this act, but we can only imagine, right? So now you have this push and pull of the Confederates... uh, uh, statues coming down, Columbus statues coming down and other kind of uh, racist people that have been uh, immortalized through statues. Their statues have come down in the United States. And now we see on the 168th anniversary of Frederick Douglass's speech in the town where he gave the speech, they tear down the Frederick Douglass statue. You know, so there's really this push and pull, man. It's, It's They're push and pull, or this conflict, you know, between uh, uh, this polarization of that there actually are, and I, you know, listening to the, you know, the man who currently inhabits the Oval Office and what he was saying on the Fourth of July really made me think because growing up in Sweden, I had two American parents. We would always uh, celebrate the Fourth of July. I mean, that was always a day of like barbecue maybe some fireworks, but getting together with other mm-hmm. Americans and English speakers and my dad would invite to some sort of Fourth of July happening. On the other hand, we never celebrated the Swedish National Day, which is on the 6th of June, called Nathunaldagen. Like we, you know, that wasn't even, I don't think it was even mentioned. It, it might have been so that my parents didn't even know that it, that it was going on. You know, I
1: think, I mean, I think two things to that, right? I think that the race baiting culture that he's doing from the office he wants that enemy he he's happy that he has this sort of the the stature and the monument to coming down because that's going to be his ne- next enemy he he very often picks an athlete mm. you know that's when he picked Kaepernick, right um and then you know 2018 he he picked that caravan from coming from mexico and south uh, and and um Central America. There's always got
0: to be an enemy. Yeah, he
1: wants that enemy. And then next, and, and now it's going to be against the monument because he was talking about that at his um, Mount Rushmore speech. Well, so it's all... Yeah, but, and to me, but just hearing him
0: speak and the way that he kind of, it's interesting how he works because at this point, he's only speaking to his base. Yeah. Like he's not even trying to, he's not even trying to bring a message of, of unity or a message of... A, a universal message to all Americans. He's yeah, like just I mean, speaking to his base. And to me, I was like, "Why the fuck should I celebrate the 4th of July? Especially not now. And especially not in the light of it, you know? I mean, to the 4th of July celebrated for the Declaration of Independence and the second sentence in the Declaration of Independence might be like the most, one of the most famous sentences in the English language, Right we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal mm. that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life liberty and the pursuit of happiness and in my lifetime i can't you know recall those words being more hollow than they are today
1: yeah no i think it i think it's that's why we're living history why that's why the year of 2020 is such an amazing interesting difficult challenging uh incredible year right because we're probably going to go through more this year than you know five years (laughs) combined or something like that so it, it questions everything and i think the um the other point to the swedish national day i honestly think sweden has had a very challenging conversation about nationalism ever since the second world war you know being neutral in the second world war uh and what does that really mean? Allowing Germans to go through Sweden to get to Norway. That is very problematic. And it, that has never aged well. and it's never been processed. It's never been processed. It's never been spoken about. And I think that is, you know, when I look at national days in Sweden, nation- nationalism in Sweden, it works great around sports, right? That's everybody gets together. What household has the flag at home? When do you put it up? You know, as as someone that was foreign born, when I was growing up and saw somebody carrying the Swedish flag, I was like, I was kind of like questioning, is this person a Nazi or not? And that obviously it's not right. Of course, you can have your flag on, but 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 it was always associated around that. And I do think that the opportunistic like parties like SD and them, they've been thriving on this culture identity, culture a political time and thriving on this nationalism that we never really dealt with. And they picked up a pocket right there. There's a, there is a, just like there, you can have culture, just like he got culture politics in America and, and race fading. They've been picking up that pocket of, it was really two things happened at the same time, right? Second and third wave of immigrants, Guest workers and refugees coming—that challenged Sweden to be a much more diverse uh, country. And then, what what's going to happen to us as as a national? Do I belong? Where do I belong to? And then, obviously, the big movement of urbanism. Right? If you live in the cities, you're exposed to one type of opportunities, and if you live on the countryside. Uh, you are exposed to your opportunities are less. So it, it is parallel what's happening in Sweden on a smaller scale to what's happening in America. And obviously when something like Trump happens in America, that nationalistic side gets their new cult person that they can sort of wrap a lot of things under. And it's very, very sad, you know, but we have to deal with it. So no, to your question, I've never celebrated, the only time I actually celebrated the national um Swedish National Day, June 6th. It's actually with you uh, about 10 years <laughs> ago. Only That's time. the only time. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Tell, all right. I remember that day. It was 2010. What, what do you, you know, I, a Swedish television had, uh, had offered me to host a, a, a TV show celebrating the Swedish National Day on the 6th of June, 2010. It was to be held in Gothenburg. They're like, you can invite anybody, like whoever you want to invite. I'm like, okay, boom. I want to get. Uh, so Marika Carlson was there, Swedish comedian, also of African descent. And um, Donnie Lemma, uh, Ethiopian, uh, also of Ethiopian descent uh, from Gothenburg, fantastic musician. And I want my brother, Marcus Samuelson. I remember that you flew from New York with some homemade taco shells that you had made.
1: Yes, yes, yes. And I was just so
0: impressed by that. I was like, damn, you came all the way from New York with these taco shells. Cause I remember you you made a salmon taco, but and and mm-hmm. we're standing there on live TV and I had, like I told you before, I didn't eat uh, seafood and fish was a little difficult for me. You made the salmon taco and I didn't want to taste it. But I was like, but my man came, my, my man came all the way from New York and made this. He like literally brought the taco shells in his carry-on yeah. bag. And I'm going to stand yeah. here on television and like disrespect his food. You know, um, I think no, I actually did taste in. it. But yeah, I went in.
1: You did, you did. but it
0: was. But that was a big moment for me that I actually tasted salmon.
1: Yeah, and it was also a metaphor, right? The taco, <laughs> obviously, so much of our food comes from mm. outside Sweden. And, and, you know, nothing can be more Swedish than herring or taco. So that's mm. the herring or or, yeah, or the salmon, salmon, So yeah. it was a good moment. But but I do think there's nothing wrong with celebrating the National Day. We should be able to celebrate or celebrate Man. the National Day. It's just something that in so many parts of my in, in on my everyday, I was always told that, not always, but very often told that you're not part of this. You're not from here. Exactly. You were excluded. I always... Yeah, excluded. So that's why I was like, well, you know, I, you know, I just... It was just not a day that I felt was my day. No. Um, I wasn't upset about it. If my neighbor would celebrate and it was just not something I felt part of, you know? I Um, I was, I was probably more excited if, like, Prince would drop a new album or... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there was much more important stuff. It's your new national Life, day. You know I mean?
0: No, but I mean, you look at yeah. the 4th of July, right? So that's, you know, commemorating the 4th of July, 1776. The Declaration of Independence was was kind of, you know, signed. And I, I guess they have been working on it for a few days, but it was like signed and declared public on the 4th of July. So that's why mm-hmm. that's a big day. In Sweden, the 6th of June commemorates when Gustav Vasa was chosen to be king and was the first king of Sweden to make the Swedish kingdom a hereditary uh, uh, nation that is that his sons then inherited the crown and so forth so kind of the first modern Swedish king and he also took over from a a Danish invading king but that's not something that like reverberate it doesn't mean anything culturally to Swedes today and I think that's why you know people are like well why should we celebrate this day? It doesn't really mean anything. We can't remember what it means. But then a few years ago, so so up all through our childhoods, the, the National Day of Sweden was not a public holiday. And then a couple of years ago, it became a public holiday. And now all of a sudden, people like call me and they're like, oh, so what are you doing for National Day? And I'm like, I don't know probably nothing. Like I have no relationship Mm -hmm. to national. What should we do?
1: It's a strange relationship back and forth to it. And
0: Sweden has this strange relationship to its own national identity. Whereas being a patriot in the United States is something like, like you have to be a patriot. Otherwise you're a traitor, Mm -hmm. right? But in Sweden, being a patriot is kind of like being a nationalist. And that might mean that you're slightly racist. So it's got this conflicting... Like Sweden hasn't really moved into becoming more inclusive as far as like hiring practices or, you know, where people live and just being more culturally inclusive. But at the same time, they shy away from, oh, don't want to touch the flag. At one point, even singing the national anthem was considered, you know, kind of having an undertone of racism, which is weird. Like... It shouldn't
1: be. You should be able to be national. Right. I mean, I am huge, huge. I love...
0: Well, maybe not nationalist, but you should be able to be proud of your country or something.
1: No, of course. And I, I love Sweden. and That's also why I hold it to such a high standard. I love America. And, and through all its, its ups and downs, right? Mm. Tell you a day that I completely misunderstood. Mm. I remember the day when I became... American. It was my wow, choice, and wow. you know, it's the first time, time you know, like you enter a place, and you you know you've been fighting for this for a long time, getting your papers, getting your green cards, going to the lawyers. This was you know going through all the tests, and then one day, I got, I got the call. Okay, you're gonna go to the courtroom down downtown, Manhattan. and I go into this courtroom, and next to me, it's packed. People are crying, mm. and you realize your privilege then. Like I'm next to, I'm surrounded with people from Pakistan, uh, Iran, Iraq, and places that people didn't come as immigrants. They came as refugees. They offered everything. They probably lost, maybe they lost one on the, you know, family members on the way. And here I come, my privileged ass from Sweden and kind of like, can I get, gap? I'm looking at my watch. Do you think I can make it back to work for tonight? We're going to be busy tonight. Let's get this thing over with. And I'm the one, when you have 250 people in the room, everyone is really, really emotional. And here I am, it's like, oh, let me jump on the subway back up so I can go back to work. Completely misunderstanding this. This is a formality. That, yes, exactly. So I actually called in and said, I'm going to be late. And I walked over the Brooklyn Bridge and I realized that, when you come as a privileged immigrant, you have choices. When you come as a refugee, you're leaving everything. And you should have heard the conversation in the hallway. People were celebrating. So very often, and this is very important in Sweden and in America, the immigrants are the most patriotic very often because they either they escaped something and they started a new life and extremely grateful for that. Or as an immigrant, I choose to come to America, right? And that gets forgotten very often But I mean,
0: they don't take it for granted. They remember why they're yes. there. You know? Whereas you're born into it or given it without any without any hassle or or, or hustle, then you might take it for granted, but it's given to you for free almost.
1: I, I think as an adopted kid, uh your national nationality and your identity around that gets very often confused, right? Like I was born as Ethiopian, and then one day you become Swedish, right? You go from a Kasahunse guy to Marcus Samuelsson, and then your whole identity starts to become Swedish. Although, just by the mere look at you, you understand, and everyone around you telling you, are you Swedish? So you ha- you're battling this thing constantly. And then also, when you meet Ethiopian, then you don't speak the language. You culturally don't really belong there either, so nationality is, you know, when I was a kid, it was very simple. If it was the Olympics and it was running, I always rooted for Ethiopia. If it was hockey, I rooted for Sweden. That was basically
0: (laughs) (laughs) the way. And if it was soccer, you rooted for Senegal.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: No, but it's interesting that you take that up because I remember the day when I became Swedish. So when I got my Swedish passport, I mean, I was born in Sweden, but I was born to two American parents. So I was automatically American, but I wasn't automatically Swedish because even if you're born in Sweden, you're not. You don't automatically become a citizen. If you're born in the United States, you automatically become American. Um, so, in 2005, by that time, my mom had become Swedish. My dad had even become Swedish, and I never thought he was going to accept to hold a Swedish passport. Like, no matter how much he actually loved Sweden, just the, just a symbolic thing of. Of like, you know, now he can no longer say to me, well, Jason, you're Swedish. You know what I mean? Um, And my sister became Swedish. So I was like, okay, let me just apply for it. Let me get it over with, you know, uh, applied for Swedish citizenship and was denied. And I was like, damn, that to me was like, wow, they can actually deny me. I was like, but I was born here. Like I had taken that so much for granted. And then all of a sudden they said no, and my dad said, "Well, just apply again, and it'll, it'll probably work next time." And it did. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa! Why did they deny you? You're like, yeah, I don't remember why they denied me. I think it was because I had debts. So I had like, uh, like in Sweden, if you don't pay your bills on time, uh, you get like a uh, you get like a, a marking in your credit history. And I think I had a couple of like, seriously, like all the artists and musicians I know had this for, you know, have had these like markings in their credit history, which means you're not credit worthy. You can't rent a car. You can't rent an apartment. You can't like, there's a lot of stuff you can't do. So because of that, they were like, no, you didn't pay your bills on time. You can't become Swedish. I was like, fuck. Anyway, I cleared it up. I waited a bit and then applied again. And I got the passport and then they uh, invite you to like a ceremony, at city hall. And I was like, no, I'm not going to go. I'm not, you know, uh, fuck that. You didn't, you know, you, you said no. you did try to deny me this. I'm just doing this for formality. Like, you know, so kind of spiteful about that. But my mom went and she said the same thing that you said, that there were were people from all over the world. People were like extremely like grateful, tears in their eyes. This was a huge thing. And (laughs) so both of us, you in America, me in Sweden, in such a privileged position that we could actually take it for granted and even, you know, in my case, at least be like, no, I'm not going to partake in the ceremony. I'm just going to get my paperwork and be out, you know.
1: This is also not without complications, right? What nationality are you? For example, when I go back to Ethiopia, they see birthplace, Addis Ababa. Then, very often, they want to know what tribe you are, right? What tribe are you? You um, are… Amhara. Amhara, my my wife is… Amhara, Amhara. My wife is Kurage, and it's very, very sad what's happening right now in Ethiopia over… Hundred and seventy mm. people has been killed over the last week or so. So this is this is mm. horrible. But that that's for we we can talk about that in another day. But it's you know, but even going back then to Ethiopia, they see that I'm born in Ethiopia. That's what the paper says. They see I I, I, I am Ethiopian, but then you know, my paperwork trails back to both America.
0: They can tell immediately that there's something different about you, probably your yeah, clothes. But even even before move. they let
1: me into the country, there's always like, well, I come with the US passport or a Swedish passport, and it's like there's a lot of question there. So, you know, th- again, the word with that the, the whole layerism around nationality, where do you belong to identity, culture, national day? It's been so much part of my life. So I I actually don't really feel emotionally attached to any of it, you know. So
0: That's so interesting, Marcus. Uh, grilling
1: corn with my son. What are we
0: what are we citizens of really? Well like if you I don't feel totally attached to Sweden nor to the United States. You're saying the same thing about Sweden, the United States and Ethiopia. We're in that in between. You know, Atlantic, we're Atlantic. Yeah, maybe we're just the diaspora, the world or yeah, the in between. And I
1: think a part of our life, you know, you, your parents come from America having you know, we both grew up with white mothers, being black kids. You know, that identity, asking ourselves, where do we belong, getting in between is something I think that both you and I uh, will follow us for the rest of our life in a way. And as long as you can kind of like deal with that. But, you know, it's interesting because uh, when internet came, it established a completely new way of communicating in a way, right? Right. When social media came, it established a new way of showcasing and show and tell. And I want to take all this pressure off my son, and I just want him to live and 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 be. He is a citizen of both places, uh, but I don't want him to have the same confusing journey as I have. Yet I want him to have those, go through some of those challenges because those challenges are also going to make him who who he's going to become. Right. But I just wanted to have a little bit, I shouldn't say easier, but just find his path. You know what I mean? Find his path.
0: Mm, Yeah. All right, Marcus. As always, you know, necessary, uplifting, essential in my life to have these conversations. I really
1: look forward to that. Although… Finding the Wi-Fi today was not easy out here, but we found it. With the <laughs> but yeah, you did it. You,
0: you, did, you did it, brother. All right. All right. That was this moment. Thank you for listening, folks. And uh, we'll talk to you or we'll see you next This moment is produced by Mohammed El Abed. It's an ACAST recording and can be heard on all platforms. So stay tuned, more depth coming your way soon.